Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ the Remnant. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of Stand Up For The Truth. Great new guest today. I can't wait to get to him in just a minute. Father, thank you for giving us a new day of life and hopefully health and strength. And we trust you in all things, Lord, as we uh, navigate the culture and what's happening in our country we pray for wisdom, as we always do, Lord, and we thank you, God, for uh, your Holy Spirit. I don't know what we would do without you and your presence in our lives, and um, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd uh, give us ways to be uh, light and salt in our culture today in our spheres of influence. I pray for those listeners who are discouraged right now, who are feeling a little overwhelmed, uh, maybe reading too many headlines, maybe uh, noticing what's going on in our government, in our culture, and the public schools. Well, Lord, encourage them, strengthen their faith right now. And that's my prayer for each one of us, that you would increase our faith and give us discernment to understand the times and know how to respond to these issues that are coming at us uh, full speed, it seems. Lord God, I lift up this hour to you and I thank you again for uh, giving us this day and the freedom we have to talk about any issue that's challenging us as believers in this culture. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm excited to have today's guest, first time, Jason Jimenez. He's the founder of Stand Strong Ministries, faculty member at Summit Ministries, and he's a pastor, apologist, national speaker. He's ministered to families for over 20 years, and in his ministry career, he's been a pastor of children, students, and college age young people, and he has dealt with marriages, families, he's helping churches have a greater impact in their communities. And many, many books I just want to mention. He's a worldview expert, which we'll be getting into a lot of these things today, especially religious freedom and uh, the, the uh, LGBT issues, racial reconciliation, Americans, America's Christian heritage. And he's authored many books. I just want to mention a few because I have one or two of them. Um, the official study guide to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Also co-written uh, with uh, Dr. Norman Geisler, The Bible's Answers to 100 of the Life's Biggest Questions, and also Stand Strong America. But his recent book that just came out a few months ago, it's called Challenging Conversations, A Practical Guide to Discuss Controversial Topics in the Church. I love him already. Jason Jimenez, welcome to Stand Up for the Truth, brother. David, I appreciate you having me, man. What a powerful prayer you opened up with. I appreciate that. Oh, praise the Lord. Um, I just love the fact that that, that uh, subtitle to the book, man, talking about these things in the church, that's kind of one of the reasons that uh, the church has been uh, maybe a little bit weaker than we could be or not as influential in our culture because we don't address so many issues uh, culturally and what's happening in our churches, so people are not equipped. But we'll get to that in a minute. I want to hear a little bit about your background. Our listeners want to know who you are, and some people follow you from all the ministries. Maybe they probably have one or two of your books. But uh, would you please start with your background and how you came to uh, just really be the founder of Stand Strong Ministries and a little bit of your testimony, please? Well, I appreciate that, uh, David, and love to share a little bit about my background uh, for your audience. I hail from Tucson, Arizona, so I'm officially, I'm a desert rat. I no longer <laughs> live there. I actually live now in Charlotte, North Carolina. So you're like, how did, how did a half Mexican end up in the South? <laughs> well, it's the Lord. I mean, only, mm. you know, only the Lord can, can do, right? That sort of thing, you know, but, uh, I grew up Catholic, you know, my dad on his side of the family on the, on the Jimenez side were Catholic and, uh, but my dad got radically saved from his older sibling. She had gone to, a revival of some sort, and and uh, Jesus became real to her, and she saw him beyond just religion, and began to preach the gospel. And I remember as a young child, had two older brothers, hearing many of the family members who were once Catholic, 
uh, professing Jesus in a way that we had never talked about. My mom at the time was a nominal Christian. She came from Illinois, from the Midwest. They had a kind of a Southern Baptist background, but not really strong faith in my early years. Well, since after my dad's uh, conversion to Christianity, he began to take us to church. And that's when I started to really actually, we went to four square denominations. We went to home churches. We went to the church down the street. And eventually, we actually landed up at a Calvary Chapel, if mm. some of your audience are familiar. It's a non-denominational, Absolutely. the founder, who was Chuck Smith, right, who <clears throat> passed away a few years ago. Well, lo and behold, I eventually get ordained as a Calvary Chapel pastor, and that's when I began to start doing my work. In uh, 1998, I began to work with students at a Calvary Chapel in Tucson, Arizona, and one of the reasons I really felt the call of God in my life was after the death of my mom. She was killed in a car accident when I was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that God had used my mom to, and again, of course, it, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but it all became much more clear to me why my mom was, was in many ways prophetic over my life. And realizing it now, I only had a short period of time with her. I didn't know that. She didn't know that, but God did. And I believe God was using my mom to prep me for the future of my life in ministry. And so there are many times when I was a child and when I became a teenager that my mom would speak over me and say, God has a calling in your life, son. Mm-hmm. And I never knew what that meant until after she died. Wow. And so, uh, yeah, so I got involved in ministry and I started to devour um, philosophy, apologetics, worldview stuff, for whatever reason. I mean, I was I did not grow up in an educated family. Nobody was giving me these books. Nobody was telling me, telling me about Josh McDowell or Dr. Norman Geiser or anything like that. And so I started to study philosophy at the University of Arizona. I was married in 20, uh, or 2001, and uh, shortly thereafter, my wife and I, after having two kids, we, we packed up and and I figured, I said, hey, if, I, if I'm going to learn more about defending the faith and reaching this generation that's lost, that's questioning the Bible, questioning Christ, questioning the resurrection, questioning even the existence of life, and if there's even a God, I just was, I, David, to be honest, I just, I was very hungry and so moved and burdened by where this, this the generation was turning yes. that I moved my family uh, clear across the country to study under Dr. Norman Geiser, and that's when I started to do apologetic training in 2006. Mm. And so that's where I find myself now after 16 years of working in local churches, working with families, working with students. Uh, God prepared us to launch uh, what we're doing now in 2012, and so we are honored oh. and privileged to go around helping people stand strong in their faith. Wow. Well, you got your 10-year anniversary coming up next year. Has it been 10 yeah. years already, huh? Uh, it's amazing, though. It is much needed in our churches today. And I'm just looking at your mission on Stand Strong Ministries, the three E's, to embolden Christians to stand strong for Christ. We need to do that. To equip Christians with a biblical worldview to know and defend the faith. We need to do that better and to engage lives lost in the culture with the truth of Christ. And uh, we need to do all these things, and those are three of your pillars there at Stand Strong. I want to talk about some of the people you've worked with. Um, I know them, not personally, but I've read their books. Uh, we've had uh, Alex McFarland on here and um, uh, Frank Turek. But uh, Alex McFarland, I'm looking at your website, all these pictures with rubbing elbows with these apologists, which I consider strong men of faith and men of God that are really helping the church because one of our problems is we have not been generally able to defend the faith and give an answer for the reason of the hope that we have. Norman Geisler, Eric Metaxas, James Dobson, the Benham brothers you've worked with recently. Tell us a little bit about that and these men that you've worked with through the last uh, many years. Yeah, I, I think it's important, David. You know, I certainly, when I was in Tucson, when I looked around, I was very blessed to have people who are still in my life, who are like spiritual big brothers, hmm. who uh, my first pastor that are, that are ordained me with the elder board uh, is still a friend of mine. Um, the executive pastor who's still under my former senior pastor and boss is still there, and he and I are very close, and we pray for each other regularly. I think it's important that when we do, especially when we're talking in terms of ministry, when you're doing like full-time ministry, that you actually 
have, you know, uh, people who lift you up, people who are there to support you and love you and care for you. But when I started into the world of apologetics, one of my prayers, and hopefully this will this will minister to several people listening, was, God, I want you to bring me mentors. I want you to bring me people. And I didn't know what that looked like, David. Mm. I didn't, I mean, my family, my entire family, again, especially for like a Hispanic community, you just, you stick with what you know, and that's family, mm. right? You don't abandon family. You're, you're there within the family. So the idea of ever leaving Tucson was foreign. Matter of fact, it's forbidden, okay, in my culture. And um, so, you know, I wrestled with that. I didn't know the outside world. You know, I may, I've been to Mexico. I've been to California, I think, at the time. And so this idea of move, you know, going even to the south was so foreign. But to what you had said earlier, I was reading Dr. Geisler, and I picked up Legislating Morality and Frank Turek. Hmm. I'd been a co-author of that book. And so, my, you know what we did? We we jumped on the plane. It's probably early 2003, and uh, I met Frank and Dr. Geyser for the first time at a conference that my wife and I came to, and we kept it private. You know, we knew something was going on there. God was moving us, and I just began to pray. Well, fast forward, Frank became and still is a very dear friend, and I just said, Lord, in order for me to do what you have called me to do, what I was believing that at the time what God was calling me to do— and that was to get into the world of, of apologetics to defend the Christian faith, but primarily doing that in the, in, within the arena of the church to equip Christians, as you just alluded to, with embolden, equip, and engage. I need to learn from the best, mm, right? Yes. I, I, I want to learn from these guys. What, are, what do they know? What, could, what can I learn from them? Not just answers to people's objections, but how, how does one live in the world today that is honorable to the Lord and to man? And so I was privileged from 2006 until his passing to walk alongside Dr. Norman Geiser, to travel around the world with him, to be in the hotel room with him, to have breakfast with him and Dr. John Lennox and so many other uh, people and just be in a world where I never had that growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, I had always had a respect and a reverence for pastors. And so now being with these men of faith, and then one thing led to another. And then, of course, you know, God blessed me with a good friendship with Alex McFarland. And Alex began to introduce me to people like Lee Strobel. And, you know, Frank Turk is introducing me to people like Sean McDowell. And Sean McDowell's introducing me to something like Summit Ministries, you know, <laughs> that I never I'd heard of, but I never knew anything about it. And, and, I, and so I, I am honestly blessed and privileged to have a lot of friends, not just colleagues, but dear friends who – we support one another because it is tough out there when you're defending the faith and yes. you, you get threats uh, in the cancel culture where people are trying to silence you, they're trying to belittle you, they're trying to bully you. We all we all can relate, right? Absolutely. And so it's important that we are there to support one, not just endorsing each other's products, but supporting one another to continue to stand strong. So it's been a great honor. I mean, the Benham Brothers, if your audience knows who they are— yes. Um, you know, they just, they live 20 minutes from me <laughs> and, you know, I got to know their dad, who's a, who's a pastor uh, advisory to my life. And he was the one that introduced me to his boys years ago and knew that we would just hit it off. And we are now really close and we do the, I will stand strong movement together. So I'm very blessed now to see the hand of God, how he has brought me people in my life who've been, been they've just been a tremendous blessing to me and my family. And so I'm, I'm eternally grateful to the Lord and to many people like Dr. Norman Geiser, Frank Turk, and others. Yeah, love those men, appreciate their work, and we all are having to deal with cancel culture to some degree. Our Facebook page, uh, Shadow Band, for many years now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I just want to mention before, we'll get to your book a little later, probably in the next uh, segment. People that have, uh, you know, you gave you an endorsement, Jim Daly, uh, folks on the family, President Dr. Frank Turek, John Stone Street, Jeff Myers, uh, Benham Brothers, also Scott Klusendorf, and others. I, by the way, um, I heard Jeff Myers is undergoing. Um, is it chemo mm-hmm. for cancer? How is he doing? Yeah, I appreciate that, and I encourage people. Dr. Jeff Myers is the president of Summit Ministries. He's been there now as president for almost a decade. Uh, of course, he goes way back when Dr. Noble was still uh, leading it, uh, and he founded the ministry back in the early '60s. But yes, uh, we just got some fairly bad news. Uh, before the end of last year that he had been diagnosed with testicular cancer. Mm. And so they caught it early. 
Um, he was definitely having some symptoms. He is going through a second round of treatment. And, of course, you know, his white blood cells were down uh, a while there. And um, so he's he's uh, very tired. Obviously, as you guys can imagine, maybe somebody has gone through chemo. My brother, actually, who died of cancer two years ago almost, um, I had to see him go through radiation and chemo on mm. three different time, three different stages of his life. So I see what it can do to a loved one. He's standing strong, though, man. He is. Mm. He's fighting it. Uh, they're very optimistic that they caught it early and that the three the three rounds of treatment will do its job. And so he's in round two, and we just got to keep praying that we're yes. seeing signs that the cancer will, will will shrink and disappear. Yes, in Jesus' name. And if you don't know, uh, listeners, if you don't know who Jeff Myers is, look him up. Uh, Summit Ministries, I used to watch a lot of the programs on NRB, um, and I mm-hmm. uh, just really appreciate that ministry. So pray for him, God's will, uh, healing and strength for him, and that uh, God would continue to use that ministry. Um, Jason, one thing you mentioned your mission is about, to help, now this is interesting, the wording, and it's so good. I think uh, we are right on the same page here. Our mission is to help Christians move from uninformed, confused, and disengaged to grounded disciples of Christ with a solid biblical worldview. Now, that first part of that, a lot of people are going, wait a minute, Christians are not supposed to be uninformed, confused, and disengaged. Can you talk about that? Because I love that statement. Well, I appreciate that, David. You know, and I, I remember as we were gathered around many of us through the years, we've actually, you know, in time crafted it to be that. It wasn't that initially, but it's evolved into that. And one of the main reasons is because if you look at Scripture, you see that repeatedly. You see, again, James talking to the scattered churches, the first letter that's written, because they were actually living a counterfeit, right? They, they, there was confusion. Um, there was dissension that was taking place. Paul many times said, I write these things to you so that you may not be ignorant, my brethren. When you see the, the compel to owe your brother nothing but to love one another in Romans chapter 13, the reason being is because of the apathy, because of the disengaged. When Jesus gives them the commandment to do the Great Commission, uh, you don't see everybody doing it uh, because people are not, for whatever reason, fleshly desires, fear, uh, becoming apathetic, indifferent. Um, you see that repeatedly throughout Scripture, you know, about Jew teaching people to contend for the faith, to engage, because oftentimes our tendency in the flesh is not to, right? Mm-hmm. To confront sin, to call things out. And we can be, we could become um, not just complacent, but dismissive. And so our, our desire in the ministry is to help the church that has become biblically illiterate, mm-hmm. and to take Christians in the pews and to embolden them in their relationship with Christ, and then through that, ground them as Colossians 2 talks about, right? We don't want them to be fooled by empty philosophy, verse 8, Amen. but we want them to be rooted and grounded, as the Bible says, with a solid understanding of who God is, who Christ is, and what the gospel is. And we teach them through the infallibility of God's Word. And so we ask we use a form of apologetics in that process to teach them what it is they believe and why they believe it. So I think through the years as as a pastor, rather than just saying, here's some information, let me equip you, I look to embolden first because there is a lot of confusion. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of people who are kind of disinterested. And think of Gen Z. Gen Z today, when you look at it across the board, are disinterested and Christianity and disengage with those quote-unquote Christian kids who are raised in the church. There's a dispassion there, right? Mm-hmm. And they're more uh, avid learners and prospects for the social justice movement than they are with ex- advancing what the gospel is. So you have to understand that's where most people are coming from. So how do we then engage that type of an audience? And that's why we phrased it that way, because those are the kind of people that we are seeking to get them to be informed, and then therefore to stand strong in their faith. Amen, brother. Well, our guest today, Jason Jimenez, Stand Strong Ministries. We're going to talk a little bit about his book when we come back, Challenging Conversations, A Practical Guide to Dismiss, to Discuss Controversial Topics in the Church. Also, The Cancel Culture, and a little bit more about apologetics when we come back on Stand Up for the Truth. 
thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. John Stone Street from Breakpoint Ministries Colson Center. He says, uh, through Stand Strong Ministries, Jason Jimenez is finding ways to lead the church into those very important conversations it should be having about God, truth, and the family. Jason is a very strong thinker, and I'm pleased to recommend this ministry to any church. Um, Jason, I love Stone Street as well. Um, you've traveled with Alex McFarland and, and probably some other of these men of God. Um, do you really focus on millennials, uh, youth groups, when you tra- travel to do some of these conferences? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so there, there's a the way that we've done it is there's several needs, and so I'm yeah I'm not just pigeonholed into one specialty. We focus on three, and this is how we divide up not just the content that I do, but in my speaking schedule. And the first is we focus on parents. That's the primary, because that's the way that we see discipleship mm. works in Scripture, right? Yeah. Um, all the way back from we know from Deuteronomy six to Psalm seventy three, etc., and Ephesians six. So one is we always, and that's why my partnership with Focus on the Family, we're currently actually working on a new book called Parenting Gen Z. So when that comes out, we'll definitely let you guys know about that, David. Yes. So we we make sure that we equip parents first and foremost. But then second, we do focus on, and again, for many years, uh, trained and equipped a lot of millennials. That was my primary when I got into student ministry in the late 90s, was working with, again, millennials when they were very young. And now, of course, we're focusing on a lot of Gen Z, uh, and then the new generation after Generation Z, which starts after 2015, 2016, is Generation Alpha. Um, and so they're little babies, you know, little toddlers running around right now. But we make sure that we have time that we engage uh, the young generation. And then the third category is pastors, uh, taking opportunity to equip pastors, especially in the woke cancel culture that we're in, how to teach them to navigate and what their religious freedoms are. So we use, like, my book, Stand Strong America, and some other resources to equip pastors. Um, phenomenal work, uh, very important work. And uh, it, since we're still alive and America is still here, it's never too late. But, Jason, man, we've let it just really kind of get out of hand with the increase of moral relativism. I'm looking at this headline here over at the Daily Wire, number of young Americans who identify as LGBT skyrockets, and that's a poll over the Daily Wire. There's just certain things. This affects the Christian church, especially because we don't have that biblical worldview. Barna, Pew, Gallup, all these polls that come out, Lifeway Research, they continually point to the fact that the church is conforming to the world and looking more like the culture than the culture is being influenced by the church and it's just backwards. So I, you said millennials, and man, what? Talk about a, a a group that needs prayer. I'm so glad that there are men like you that are trying to reach them and really just get that foundation back in line with God's Word. Yeah, I, I do agree, David, and I think that's why even what you guys do, I think in, in the crosshairs between the millennials and Gen Z, and this is true for any generation, but I think more now than ever, when you start having this distorted view of Christianity, or you have a lot of people who are Christian in name, right? When you survey the average American, even still today, you're still going to get three-quarters of people in America who will profess to be a Christian. Um, and so for decades now, from the millennials to Gen Z, and as technology has advanced, they're inundated with opinions, with these labeled evangelicals. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, even in what we've done all these years for the for for our Heavenly Father, um, in the people we surround ourselves with, and how we have a filter and 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 pray for wisdom and and study and and all that kind of stuff, are still confused sometimes when someone you know identifies. Like recently, I just put out a video of a of a of a conservative voice. And this individual professes to be a Christian, but yet denies the deity of Christ. Mm. So wow. it's like this is so you have these young generations of these people. And again, nothing's new under the sun. It's just right. now with the advancements of technology, things are so everyone's so inundated with with blast full of information. So you have these millennials and Gen Zs who their attention span is eight seconds <laughs> and they get these tidbits. They get tidbits of advice. And I call them sound bites of Christianity. Yes, where they're just they're they're not comprehensive and they're not systematic. 
So we have no critical thinkers really among these these two young generations. And you look at the totality of Christianity in a historical context, that is not how Christianity was advanced. Exactly. And so it's now so messed up and mm. so difficult at times, but a lot of times when you're dealing with millennials today, and, and again, loving them with the proper tone, respecting them, engaging them, so my, what the whole Challenging Conversations book is about is not just giving a ready answer, but doing it in love and doing it in a way to where I'm not going to compromise in what I believe, but I'm also not going to jeopardize the opportunity that I can have to engage a person who's lost. Mm. And so I got to make sure that I, I, when I, when I critique their point of view, that I'm not criticizing them. I can have a spirited conversation, an open debate, a rigorous one at that, but making sure that I'm not being mean spirited. Mm. And so the millennials and Gen Z, they love and relish that. That's one reason why Sean McDowell and, Jay Warner Wallace and Frank Turk and myself and Scott Klusner of all of us love, love, love. And John Stone Street, when we go teach at Summit, because we're getting thousands of kids from the ages of 16 to 25, you're coming through our doors. Wow. And we have an opportunity to engage them and show them this is what a Christian thinker looks like. Hmm. And they have, a lot of them have never seen that. Exactly. And that's so important to reach that generation, that group, that, that age range. Um, so many directions I want to go here, and we, God willing, if you're able to come back another time, I'd love to get more into your other books as well. But we will get to challenging conversations. A couple more questions. Uh, I saw a picture with of you with Jay Seculo. I just recently noticed that um, Secretary of State, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, is added to the ACLJ legal team. Um, religious freedom is one of our big issues here. Uh, that we try to defend and raise awareness about. Um, what uh, was that interaction, and what's your relationship with Jay Seculo? Well, yeah, see, Jay, we love uh, ACLJ. We're thankful, right, for for organizations. I remember when I was at a big mega church, and I was the student pastor, and you know Obama was elected. And I think, David, it was really the first time that I began to really consider the impact that certain legislation will have on our religious freedoms. Mm. And though our religious freedoms are very strong in the courts, right? You don't have a lot of uh, cases that have set precedent to undermine our First Amendment, or as Chuck Colson referred to it as our first freedom. And I remember I began, when I started to look back on my study in philosophy and apologetics and theology, of course, there was not a lot of things. There was some little crossover that you study in philosophy, you know, when you're, when you're doing the philosophy of, 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 uh, of, of politics and stuff. So you have some things on re- religious freedom and that sort of thing. But I began to really look at that more deeply. So, again, years later, when Alex and I were writing the Stand Strong America book, I reached out to several people that I – course look up to that you look up to that we that are voices in this in this area and of course jay secular was one of them mm-hmm. along with tony tony perkins you know who endorsed oh, the book and, and yes. others and so when the book came out jay immediately was like I, I want this to be on one of the shows that he was hosting uh in washington dc awesome. and so i was yeah, I was very honored. Wow. They flew me out there, and I sat with him uh, with another friend of mine, Eric uh, Steckelback, um, and um, we we just had a, a great – the interview is probably somewhere on YouTube with Jay Seculo, but we talked about Stand Strong America. And so I don't have a whole lot of interaction with, with, with Jay, but needless to say, is um, he is a, definitely a champion for not just Christian liberties but religion in general yes. here in America. And um, and so just to have that type of support and and then use that, David, to uh, further educate pastors and clergy people uh, to know what their rights are, and that is so very important. And so just leveraging those type of connections with people in Washington D.C. and learning from them—that's one of the reasons why we did Stand Strong America—is because we wanted kind of a manifesto, a booklet of some sort that we can hand to pastors so they can understand how we've developed these these liberties in America, which makes our nation so great, mm. but also understanding the threats that are within our country that are undermining them. Yes, And I believe it's the duty of the shepherds to know what those threats are, not just to call them out, but to also protect their people from, from, these, from such attacks. 
So Jay's been a great voice uh, of reason to help me through the years and how to do that. Phenomenal. I mean, just your your contacts and the, the your mentors and the people that you've interviewed with and ministered with, just uh, just amazing, important men of God for this cultural moment in America. Um, I want to take a little turn now and talk about one of your mentors who was uh, Ravi Zacharias, and we've talked about him on the show. We used to play his program, uh, Let My People Think, mm-hmm. on the on our the station that hosts Stand Up for the Truth. Uh, he stood by you when you left the local church to start your ministry. He was a friend and mentor, and uh, we were not shocked, um, but we were so disappointed. Uh, he led a double life. Uh, he was a sexual predator. And what came out, the truth that came out, the accusations came out, and then it was investigated. You looked up to him, and, and most of us did, as one of the top apologists. So you had a personal relationship with Ravi Zacharias, and I would love for you to share with our listeners how you processed the findings and uh, how you look at things now as far as his legacy. Well, I appreciate that, David. And let me just say to people, I mean, it is devastating news anytime you hear someone who was living supposedly for the Lord, mm. they were doing God's work, and then they were living a double life. And I'm sure many of your listeners have been wounded by people, been been let down by leaders, and it's never a good thing. It's never uh, a fun thing to go through. So we all mourn uh, over the loss of, of people like Ravi, who, again, um, has not just left a tarnished legacy, but now from publishers to, again, let my people think all that is being um, stripped. And the reason being, and rightly so, and again, someone who's involved in this and and friends of mine at RZIM, who I pray for daily along mm-hmm. with the Zacharias family, um, he, because he left unrepentant. He was violating people. He was a sexual predator. So there was no ounce of repentance in his heart, which is, makes the situation even more shocking. But that, that goes to the fallenness of man, doesn't it? Yeah. And, um, you know, my faith is not shaken over this. Uh, matter God. of fact, through this, you know, I look to Christ even more. Uh, I've mourned. I've, 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 I've was, was been brought to my attention years back with some things that were not adding up. Hmm. Um, you know, we, we, we had certain conversations with certain people and didn't seem like, uh, these things were substantiated, and you always want to, as my my good friend Frank, you know, said on his radio show talking about this. There was the presumed innocence um, at the time, uh, but after the evidence has come out, and that's why we didn't come out until after the investigation was finalized. And looking at what has been discovered and confirmed, um, it's devastating, mm. you know. And I don't like talking about it, but we do need to talk about it. Yes. You know, this, you know last year a, a good friend of mine committed suicide. He was a professor at UNC Wilmington. Mm. Um, he spent the last few days of his life at my house. Wow. And then he left. Now, now, um, did I want to talk when I stood up at his funeral? Did I want to talk about the suicide? Of course not. But you have to talk about it in a way to where it honors the Lord and recognizing that we have to work through this as Christians and, uh, and not be dismissive and, and, and toss it to the side and um, and that same thing with Ravi. We have to talk about this because whatever led him to do what he did, because he was not, I don't think, yes, he lived a life that was a sexual predator, but how many other people were, in a way, allowing or permitting or overlooking certain flaws and situations? And I think sometimes by calling it out, uh, we also have to, to make sure in our own lives that we are not falling down a path or going down a path that can lead us to maybe do things similar Hmm. to what he he was found out doing. And so we, through the process, all of us, I've had a lot of conversations with several of these people that we mentioned, mentor friends, and we've all looked within our own heart, ensuring the boards that we answer to, um, the pastors that we're under, are we accountable? What does what do our wives know? You know, can they look at our device? Do they have access to devices? Do we have, you know what I mean? We got to make sure that we're above reproach. And so I love Josh McDowell. He laid it out there. Hmm. Josh McDowell, one of the greatest apologists living in his late 70s now, I mean, he is accountable. Yes. And when you look at the life how Ravi lived, he wasn't. And so it's a reminder through all this that we are all fallen people. We're capable of anything, and therefore we have to make sure that we are accountable. And I think that's my big takeaway is making sure as I look at my life in ministry, am I making sure that I am above reproach and am I accountable? We may never know how many people closest to him knew 
any of this was going on, his double life. Uh, he traveled, apparently traveled with a personal masseuse. Um, some people said, were, warned him, saying that the, the, avoid the appearance of evil, having no idea he was actually doing anything else, but they were just concerned about the appearance of evil. And so those people, maybe in his ministry, maybe had no idea what was really going on, but they saw red flags. They saw warning signs. What can we learn from that? And I'm thinking of uh, Billy Graham, Mike Pence, and the, uh, the I guess it was the Billy Graham rule where he will never mm-hmm. go in, uh, into a room, let alone a hotel room, with any single woman, anyone, any woman at all other than his wife. Yeah, I, I think... And we are to blame to some extent. And again, we pray for the victims. We pray for the victims. We don't know them by name. They wanted – there's anonymity, mm-hmm. as you can imagine. The yes. only person you know specifically is Ann Thompson, the Canadian woman who's who's come out. And I think since then, RZIM has released that non-disclosure that they – that Ravi at the time when he sued them, forced it on them. Um, you know, so we're getting more information from her. Uh, you know, I leave that to people if they want to discover that on their own. But I think, yes, what we have to take responsibility, and you're, and you're right. I, I know several people who work there, and I love them dearly. I don't blame them for the sins of Ravi. Right. Um, Ravi lived a very private life. Again, so yes, he was a mentor. He was very supportive of me. I got to interact with him on multiple occasions through several years. But it's not like, you know, I went on vacation with Robbie. It wasn't like I traveled with Robbie and spoke on the same stage with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, very few people did. You know, uh, Abdu is a friend, Vince Vitale, before that, Nabil, before he died. But even those men, you know, they, they again, they didn't, they weren't always with Robbie. That's right. Um, but I would say that one of the problems, though, is that I think, David, in this world that we're living in, with this, again, we talk a lot about this, and I, and I don't know fully what the answer is. We can talk about humility and the power of the Holy Spirit, but what does that actually look like in the lives of, of, of teachers? But so many of these teachers today, we've, we idolize. We look up to them so much yep. that I think that we're so favorable over them, and we don't believe that they would ever commit an act of sin um, because that might tarnish our, you know, not, you know, our view of them. And because they're just in such high standards, we kind of put them apart to these fictitious Marvel characters like Thor and Captain America. And uh, and so we're gullible. I think a lot of times people get so gullible or they don't want to think the evil or, again, these people that are in this these powerful positions, um, they have a lot of sway Mm. and your job or your career um, is in their hands. And so there were times enough to where Ravi was being warned by executive people, uh, even just on appearance sake, or when questioned about certain accusations, uh, he would go ballistic. And wow. I think that's a reminder. And again, I, let me say something. I'm a victim of molestation when I was a child. So mm. I understand what it feels like when someone who you are to trust is telling you to do something that's actually inappropriate. Mm. And so when, when and these kind of people are masters of how they can manipulate uh, someone, so we don't blame these victims and expect no. that they should have done certain things. There were some who knew it was wrong, and eventually they had enough, and they either quit the job or they did say something. And the sad thing is, the people that they trusted with information in the end did not call Ravi out. Mm. And I pray to God, just like anybody who is taking advantage of a position of power that God has given them, especially someone who's clergy, especially somebody who's using their position as a pastor to spiritually abuse people. That they will be found out. Yes. You know what? Let me say something. Jerry Falwell's, the Carl Lenses, and the Ravi Zacharias's are done. God is cleansing his church right now. Amen. And I pray for all those victims out there that justice will be served someday. It may not be on the side of heaven, but it's coming. My The person who perpetrated himself on me never paid for the crimes that he committed. But eventually in life, he he had a stroke and he eventually died a miserable life. That was a mm. consequence to his sin, and mm. before he died, I had already forgiven him for violating me. And I know there are some victims who've done the same, even though RZI and let them down. Mm. And so I'm hoping and praying as the whole ministry now is falling apart, and maybe he'll be gone a year from now. Maybe RZI will be over, but guess what? Christ still rules, yeah. so it's not the end of the world. We still have Davids like you and Jasons like me out there preaching the gospel, so God is not restricted to all of this. He's revealing, all right, the sin. 
and I think God's cleansing house. And so that's what I say is we that's what we we got to be afraid of what God's doing right now Amen. In, a, in a holy way, and in a I, holy way. And I think also I appreciate so much what you just shared from your heart, Jason. And also, I think God is separating the sheep from the goats so to speak, even with what's happening with COVID. But we've got to take another break. We're with Jason Jimenez, Stand Strong Ministries. As soon as we come back, we will dive into his book, Challenging Conversations, a practical guide to discuss controversial topics in the church. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth. With David Fiorazzo. Our guest, Jason Jimenez, Stand Strong Ministries. Uh, we're just now getting to his new book. And uh, he said off the air before we got back on that uh, he would come back so we can talk more in depth about this. But his other books, I just want to remind you guys what he's got available. Stand Strong America, a book uh, with Alex Far- McFarland. Also, another one called Abandoned Faith. Um, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, the Official Study Guide with Norman Geisler, and the Bible's answers to 100 of life's biggest questions, also with Norman Geisler, um, and right now the new one, Challenging Conversations. So, Jason, uh, we know we have an idea what some of these challenging conversations are, but I'm looking at uh, some of what's in, in the book. Um, what do you want to start with, and, and how did you decide to uh, put some of these together? Well, you know, you always, as a writer, you're always trying to answer the question, why? You know, why, why is this happening over here? And when you, when you start deliberating and contemplating and meditating and praying through that, uh, Lord willing, right, um, you get the what. What do we do about it? Hmm. Um, and so when I was noticing, and I have been, David, for quite some time, I, I can't exactly point out a specific day and time when I when this book concept, if you will, came to mind, but it's but it had been developing for quite some time. And because what I was noticing was that Christians would rather than engaging on these type of topics that you and I have been talking about that are not that are very uncomfortable at times, mm-hmm. you know, um, and you don't want to be coming off as uh, someone who doesn't care or you're condescending, you're being judgmental. Oh, you know, this about Robbie and this about you know. No, we're, we're broken people, and it's devastating and. There are a lot of times. Matter of fact, I don't think if you had asked me if I and I've been doing, I mean, tons of interviews the last few months, and uh, I think there was one that was like, "Hey, you know, do you want to mention the Ravi thing?" And I said, "No, we're not going to mention that at all," because hmm. I was not in a place where I could talk about okay. it. Okay, yeah, um, that's life. Yeah, you know, what I mean, that's life, and I, I've gotten to a place now where, uh, you know, I can talk about it. Um, and and trust that God will use it to minister to people, yes. like when we did that in the last segment. Now, I say all that because I was noticing there are so many opportunities, so many opportunities where Christians can take, but they don't because they're too afraid. And so when you look at challenging conversations from any, anywhere from mental illness, you know, having a conversation with somebody, let's say, over lunch, and, and they're like, well, can you really have a mental illness and still be a Christian? Or why can't they pray harder? Or, you know, let me just throw some Bible verses at them. I would get that a ton. And then substance abuse. If you ever think about going into a church and wondering how many people in this church are abusing drugs, opioids, you know, prescription drug medication. I mean, like how bad is it? We don't oftentimes think that, but there are a lot of people for whatever reason are turning to substances and then you think about people with porn addictions, right? You think mm-hmm. about people with premarital sex. People are having sex outside of marriage and thinking it's 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 okay. It's it's like the thing that we do now. We can live together, try it out, and get married down the road. And I'm going to Bible study, no big deal. And then the LGBT issues: Can you be born gay? Can you be you know in a same sex relationship and 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 profess no Christ as your Lord and Savior? These are challenging conversations to have them but these are questions that i'm noticing that people just avoid them that's yes. like the, mo- the the main response is not to respond from christians and so to it'd be an understatement to say how disturbed and troubled that i've been but so pastorally i wanted to and again the answer is not to be the aggressor is not to say oh yeah i relish every time people bring up this kind of stuff and <laughs> let me tell you about the ravi thing and let me tell you about these gay people over here, and, and they just go in attack mode. I'm like, no, I don't even want to be a part of that either. <laughs> and so as a father of four, I'm like, you know, if there was a way, as I'm having these challenging conversations around the dinner table with my kids, and I got you know one in college now, 
and one that just got her driver's license this past week, and I got two little ones in, in elementary. I'm thinking, I don't want my kids to see that as an example. Mm-hmm. I want them to actually see Christians who go to the abortion clinic like I would go to with the Benham brothers and actively engage people and plead with people and love people and pray with people, even if they gave you the middle finger. And so that's why the birth, the book was birthed. It was mm-hmm. like, I don't want to just give an answer to these questions. I want to teach people how to have these conversations. And that's why we wrote the book. Thank you. Uh, important book for this time that we're in. And even when we have these conversations, uh, on the other side, a lot of times we are shut down. We have to be ready for that. Um, do you write about that in uh, part of the book, Challenging Conversations, on how which is out of our control, how others respond, right? Do you touch on that? Yeah, I mean, the the first chapter of the book is called The Three Highly Effective Tactics of a Conversant Christian. And I I believe it was important of building up this part of, like, you guys, when you go through this book, you're going to be this conversant Christian, which I refer to as the advocator of God's truth. So that's the third alternative, not to be the avoider, not to be the aggressor, but to be the advocator of God's truth. I love God, I love man. Even though I adamantly oppose the position of this person or their lifestyle or their choices, I want to mediate between them and God. I want to be there to build a relationship. In order to do that, I need to have conversations with them, even though it may be tough. Now, we can't control the narrative. We can't control that person's will. Just like we know as a Christian, I can share the gospel. I can plant seeds, but I can't convert the person. You know, So that same thing, uh, David, applies to conversations. Mm. Right. Yeah. So if someone is someone if I'm trying to have a conversation with somebody, let's say on the topic of like one of the questions you ask is, you know, you know, what is what's so bad about having sex before marriage? And I've had a ton of these conversations with, with millennials. Well, the first thing that I don't want to refer to them as as a marriage bed defiler. <laughs> you know what I mean? I yes. don't want them. I, you know, I, I don't, don't you realize you're sitting against your body. <laughs> what's wrong with you? Matter of fact, let me just let me take a step further. In premarital counseling with a lot of millennials through the years, they don't even know passages about 1 Corinthians chapter 6. One of the simple questions I would ask them is, hey, do you guys know any, anywhere in the Bible, like in the New Testament, where it talks about like the role of the husband and the wife? They don't know Ephesians 6, exactly. and yet they want to get married. Yeah. Um, so so the, the, what I'm saying is, and having these kind of conversations, posing a question like that, my job is not just to go in attack mode on that person and to prove why they're going to go to hell because they're having sex before marriage. I want to call out the sin mm-hmm. and extend the grace of God to them and show the error of their ways as I talk about my mistakes and the errors of my ways. But through the grace of Jesus Christ, right, I am saved. And if you can have somebody who's a carnal Christian and show them the truth of God's Word without compromise, by the way. Show them the beauty of what marriage is intended to be, and then walk them through that and mm-hmm. show them the standard, because God is the ultimate standard. There is a way that you can do that without becoming defensive and condescending. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, David, I just see so many Christians, they either check out or they get so upset because of this point of view that they go in attack mode. Mm-hmm. And look what, as a result, look what's happened. I yes. think a lot of the division that's happening, and of course with, politi- with, with identity politics, you mix that whole thing in together now, and we're just having fights about I don't, my point of view with my ethnicity or my religion. Who knows? It just, the point is, is now I'm just blasting you because either you're a different color than I am or you don't go to the same church I go to or you mm-hmm. have a different point of view about the Bible. And we just blast that person. And so hopefully I'm just trying to bring some sanity back into our lives with this book. Yes, and I love even in that first chapter, you also put excuses down. Um, I'm not that, just not that smart. I get too defensive. I get uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Well, these issues are not comfortable to talk about. But the, one of the main reasons culture looks like it does is because the church or leadership in the church has not addressed them and adequately equipped people. Um, just really briefly, tomorrow uh, we're going to be talking about um, environmental issues and the Green Dragon and all that, and also the Equality Act, which is uh, we've got to keep our eyes open for that and prepare for that. Um, also, Cancel Culture, um, a, a book, uh, When Harry Became Sally, written by Ryan T. Anderson, mm-hmm. that was taken mm-hmm. off of 
uh, Amazon because he tells the truth about the struggles of uh, gender dysphoria and, and sex reassignment surgeries. And now they're just trying to silence the opposition. Not surprising, but Jason, we've just got two minutes left, maybe two and a half minutes. What advice, because that's a big issue right now for kids. Girls in some states and some schools are already having to compete against boys to have them, biological boys, have them come into their locker rooms or dressing rooms or bathrooms. What advice do you give Christian parents on how they can help their children who are going to have to deal with this? Man, that's... Uh, I know we could do an hour on that. Give me the answer. <laughs> I know, you probably do. I'll de- okay, David, I'll definitely have to come back for this one. <laughs> but let me just say real quickly, number one, I would just say for parents, and again, I'm raising two boys and two girls, you have to talk to them about uh, their sexuality, about the maleness and the femaleness of of mankind. Bigotry uh, only comes in the form of somebody who feels that you're... Um, preventing people from being exclusively who they want to be. Now that's that's a true form of bigotry. But when I teach our children when I teach my children and, and parents out there teaching them about biology, that's not bigotry. God made male and female. Mm-hmm. He made us in his image. There's beauty in that. You tell them you teach them about the beauty of marriage. And then you know what? Depending on the age when it's appropriate, you start teaching them about how destructive uh, the life of a homosexual is. Um, and especially a married one, you have to just like you do with drugs, for example. And again, I'm I'm not comparing the two. Uh, there there are there are differences, but the point being is, you say, hey, this is what drugs will do to a human being. Well, similarly, this is what the life of a of a gay person will will do right after a, a while. And you know what? It's not me assuming that. It's people in the gay uh, community telling you that and looking at the, the, the medical stats. And so we have to understand that. And then also teaching them about what is it, what, lo- what does love really look like? Because, you know, the, the LGBT community says love wins, mm. right? Now, we have to make sure, especially for teens now, Gen Z, just because I don't embrace uh, a same-sex marriage does not mean I hate people who are married to the same sex. And parents need to be teaching that to kids. Uh, along the way about yeah. what does true love look like according to first Corinthians chapter 13. So look at the beauty of a male and a female and that sacred uh, design that God has given us. Number two is the beauty of what marriage is intended to be between a husband and wife. And number three, what does love truly look like that's, that is the, that's embodied in Christ and, and how I engage the LGBT community. So in a nutshell, that's what I would say to parents. Yes, and there's so much more. I know I, I kind of uh, got into that a little late in the conversation. But Jason, we'll have you back. Jason Jimenez, the book is called Challenging Conversations. You can look him up at Stand Strong Ministries. We'll have a whole lot more coming up and let you know who our guests are tomorrow on Stand Up For The Truth. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now, we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Tomorrow, we are going to have E. Calvin Beisner back, Dr. Cal, and from the Cornwall Alliance. He's on staff there, founder, national spokesman of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. And uh, can't wait to get into some environmental issues and the latest and what's going on in that area. Also, Holly Pivik will be back with us on Monday her website, Spirit of Error, talking about discernment issues in the church, including the NAR and other issues. And then Cal, I'm not not Cal, but a Carl Gallops uh, back with us next Tuesday. But uh, Cal Beisner tomorrow, thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter. God bless you.